God, we thank you that we get to sing about your greatness today, and we sing about the fact that you're faithful and that you're with us, Lord. And I just want to thank you that there are those in the room that we hold firmly to that truth. We've tested you over time. We understand that uh, there are difficulties that come, that circumstances are in our lives, but you are always faithful. I thank you for that. I pray for those in the room who find that song hard right now because they're wondering if you are good and if you are able to help them in all their circumstances. And I just pray today for strength. I pray that it was strengthening even to hear people sing it with a fervor, even though that none of us have a perfect life. But we've placed our trust in you and this great are your faithfulness to us even when we are unfaithful to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. That'd be wonderful. Just thanks so much for being here today. And wow, we have our church back today. If you were, you know, not, not here last week, you don't realize how many people missed because of the snow. We had over 500 people watch online last week. Uh, and so those of you who are watching online, I heard a lot of jokes about this, that you know that I called you a name. Uh, and so I called you snow weenies, and I'll second it today, okay? So there we go. Just get it out. And, uh, you know, I understand that some people told me they had, you know, like two feet of snow and couldn't get out. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, so I'm just so glad that we do have the online capability. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that today, that it's definitely here uh, to help. It's, it's not the solution to uh, church, that God has something else in mind, that he wants his people to be together. And there's a reason for that. And we're going to talk about that today as we engage. And this is the last week of our Why We Do That series. I'm so excited that I mean, your response to this has been over the top, uh, that uh, as you've been encouraged, as you've understood that this is not about rules and regulations, but this is about uh, kind of like how we can engage with God, and as we engage with Him, how we can grow in intimacy with Him. That's what this whole series has been about, and so I just really thank you so much for your responses and just praying that God will continue to use that in your life as well. So go ahead and grab your message notes. They look like this. Pull them out. We're going to use these today. You're going to write down some things. All the Bible verses we'll have will be here. I hope you'll have your Bible. You can open it to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews is towards the end of the New Testament. If you get to Revelation, just go back a couple of books and you'll be in Hebrews uh, and you'll find yourself there. And we're going to be there for all of our time today. Uh, also, I want to encourage you, if you don't own a Bible, we want to give you one. So if you would, if you just stop right out there, some bookshelves, we're going to give you a Bible. It's our gift to you and love for you to take that as well. So we're going to just jump right in. The theme verse is at the top. We've been reading this every week. And so I'm going to ask, because I've been reading it every week, let's just do it together today, okay? I'm going to ask you to help me out. Be on the screens. Let's read it out loud together. Ready? Go. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and grace. So I'm going to encourage you, if you have a Bible, to underline this, but on your notes, go ahead and underline the phrase, coming to know him. Three words, coming to know him. Four words, I can count. Coming to know him. Just go ahead and underline those, because that's what this series is all about. It's how can we learn to know God? And then it says, remember at the top, the very first verse, very first words, it says, by his divine power. So this is how he works in us. This is not me having to muster up strength on my own to become something that uh, I can't do on my own or to overcome things I can't overcome on my own. It's by his power. That doesn't mean I don't have 
responsibility, though. And so we're talking about, in this series, our responsibility to be able to access his power so that we engage with him in his rules of relationship or engagement and that we grow in intimacy. That's what we're doing in this. So the key idea is there. We do what we do so that we become who God made us to be. So we do what we do so that we can become the people that God made us to be and be in relationship with him. And today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the joy that we can experience and the influence we can have as we learn the importance of connecting at church. Now, I was you know, telling the teams before service today, I said, really, this message should have come at the very first of the series. Because as we started the series, we we're going to talk about what we do inside these walls and how we engage together. It really should have been the first one, but you know, the way the circumstances played out, it's the last one. And maybe that, you know, I'm sure God has a reason for this and why we're in this, the very last one. And I just pray it'll be encouraging to you. Why do we come here? We're going to talk about that today. And why do we engage and why is this so important to God and also to us in our relationship with him? So to statistically, we know that fewer and fewer Americans are making church a priority on weekends. Fewer and fewer. Why is that? Well, one reason is, is that we're busier than ever. Uh, it's harder to get you know, family time. It's harder to get me time. It's harder to get play time. It's harder to get social time. It's harder to get time because we're busier than ever. It's hard to get personal time. So instead of using Sunday for God, which it was been for you know, centuries, Sunday for God, we're increasingly using Sunday for our own needs and our own wants. That's just happening all over America, right here in Grass Valley as well. Another reality is that more and more people work on Sundays, and so it's harder because of just the way the culture is changing and the uh, schedules where, uh, you know, we used to be a six-day-a-week culture. Now we're a seven-day-a-week culture. We're uh, designed seven days a week so that we can uh, uh, do more, but really so we can consume more and so that we can actually keep our, you know, whole economy going. You know, we don't want to talk all about that, but there's a lot of things that we have, a lot of reasons why we have such a a -a seven-day-a-week now uh, kind of work life. Another reason is that our sports leagues and our recreational interests no longer operate according to God's calendar. You guys, you guys who have kids, you know that, right? They're no longer operating according to God's calendar. They operate according to America's calendar. And so what we're, you know, they schedule all these events and we're afraid of our kids missing out, but yet they're all there. Um, the, the calendar is scheduled in a way to keep us busy uh, seven days a week anymore. Still another reason people don't go to church, and this is really what I want to talk to for just a little bit, is people who used to go to church. They don't go to church anymore. And they, you know, for some reason, uh, they allowed the fact that uh, the church being imperfect uh, to drive them away in some way. And so we call these the duns. Been there, done that. Do you know anyone like that? Have you ever been like that yourself? And so just think about that. The been there, done that, folks. There was a popular book written a few years ago, and it describes this attitude. The title was, They Like Jesus, But Not the Church. They like Jesus, but not the church. They want to experience Jesus, but they really don't have any use for the church. And I'll just say this, folks. People have been hurt by church. I'm not going to say that that hasn't happened. I'm really sorry for that Anytime it's happened. Anytime it's happened here. I'm just really sorry that that happens to folks. And other times people feel the church isn't relevant or that they look at the church and they say the church is just full of hypocrites. 
And, you know, I was thinking about that. When people tell me that the church is full of hypocrites, I just look at them and say, well, come join us and there'll be one more. <laughs> right? It's just the way it is. We're all that way. I'm sure church is full of all those things and churches have hurt people because the deal is this. God, Jesus didn't give his church to perfect people. He gave his church to imperfect people. Not one church will be perfect until we get to heaven. Not one. But the Bible doesn't say go to church if it's perfect. It doesn't say that at all. Instead, it says the church is the bride of Christ, the bride of Christ. And not to go to church is to say to Jesus, I love you, but it's your girlfriend I can't stand. <laughs> There's it. It's the bride of Christ. So folks, if you want to get rid, you, if you want to get rid of church, you also have to get rid of Jesus because Jesus ordained the church and established it. It's his bride. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus loves the church. He died for the church. He wants you to engage with his church, and someday he's coming back for his church. Guaranteed. So let me ask a question. As we get further and further away from church in America, the further we get away from God, let me just ask this question. Are things getting better? Just look around. Just think about the way that life is going. Think about the way that life seems to be playing. Are things getting better? Are we getting better as a society as we get further and further away from the biblical God? Or are things getting scarily worse? That's what we're sensing. I think we all know the answer. If we just look around at culture today and how things are going, the evidence is overwhelming. America is not getting better as we move further and further away from church. It's just not getting better. So let's just think about this. From the very beginning of time, and I wish I had time to go through all the different ways that God called his people to be together through the Old Testament and how it changed into the New Testament in the New Testament era, God was all about forming a family, a family of men and women and children who would come together and they would love him with all their hearts and souls and minds and strength, and they would love their neighbors as they love themselves. That's what God was about. And then to this day, he continues to reach out to individuals, and he calls individuals out of their individuality to put that aside, to become part of a larger group, a whole, a collective of people who come together to make a whole. God's plan has always included his people gathering together in unity, as Emily read to us just a few moments ago, and in the blessings that she read that come with that at the end of Psalm 133. So what I want to do is I'm going to begin today, I'm going to clear up some, conf mis you know, some confusion or misconceptions about the church, and then we're going to talk about what the church is as we end our time together, together today. But I want to begin with this about misconceptions. We're going to watch a great video which talks about the way some people would like church to be. Tired of having to wake up, get dressed, and drive across town just to attend your favorite service? Introducing Virtual Reality Church. Start by choosing a church building that meets your needs. Tired of the stress of having to choose a Sunday morning outfit? Never make a fashion mistake again, because Virtual Reality Church will style you based on your denomination. Not a people person? Select the introvert experience to completely eliminate the welcome team, meet and greet time, connect cards, and that awkward hold hands with the person next to you thing we still do. Next, personalize your morning by choosing the worship experience that you want. Feeling a touch of white guilt? Add a minority worship leader. Custom options even let you tailor the skinniness of your worship leader's jeans. 
Finally, no more having to endure songs that you don't like. With Virtual Reality Church, you're in charge. For the sermon, choose the amount of conviction you'd like and we'll select a pastor for you. We'll even let you tailor your sermon topics so you'll never have to attend a Vision Sunday or a sermon series on giving. And never worry again about dozing off during the sermon. With Virtual Reality Church, you can sleep as long as you want. Kids being bad in nursery? Who cares? Worried about missing a football game? Enter your favorite team and we'll provide notifications when the game is starting. Never miss a kickoff again. Want to go forward for prayer? Well, if you selected a Pentecostal service, always stand in front of the mattress. Even connect your social media accounts and we'll post for you. Get credit for being super spiritual all from the comfort of your couch. Finally, an option for people asking the question, how can I make Sunday morning even more about me? Virtual Reality Church, the future of church attendance. <laughs> oh, man. Well, the misconception there is that church is all about me, right? All about us, because it's not. It's a bigger reason that God wants us to be here. In fact, he wants us to die to me, to die to self. He wants us to engage in a humble way that we're not having to have our needs met. And I'll just say it. We said it a couple of weeks ago. If you missed two weeks ago when I talked about worship, just encourage you to go back and listen to that or watch that uh, whole service or that message from that day because we talked about why it's so important that we do what we do in here together. And I said that day that coming to church is not about what you get. It's about what you give. Not about what you get, but it's about what you give. And so I was talking to some people after first service today, and so she said to me, she said, I'll just tell you, Ron, every time I come here, God speaks to me, every time. And I said to her, I said, you know why? Because every time you come here, you're coming to receive. See, there's a difference between receiving and getting. Receiving is I'm open in posture, I'm open in soul, I'm open in spirit, I'm humble. And I guarantee you that if that's you, unless God's given you the silent treatment, which he may, that you will receive every time you come. But if you come to get, it's got to be the right music, it's got to be the right song, it's got to be the right message, can't be too long, can't be too short, got to laugh, got to do this, got to do that, gotta, gotta, then if you're coming to get, oftentimes you won't receive. Because God calls us to come and give, and give to him. And so that's the difference. So what I want to do is I want to talk about some misconceptions now. And the first one is this. The church is not a building. The church is not a building. So a church can meet the building, right? We have a building, but this building is not the church. Uh, when all of us leave today and we lock the doors, this will no longer be a church. It'll be a building. And so it cannot be just a building. A church can meet in a building or have a building, but a building is not the church. Now, this is a hard one because we're conditioned by culture to say these words. I'm going to go to church. We're just conditioned to say that by culture, to refer to a place we go and something we do when we actually get there. Now, in the New Testament, though, it was different. In the New Testament, it was written in the Greek language, and it talked about the fact that the church was coming to know Jesus, and they were meeting together, and they were given a name, and the name they were given was they were the ecclesia, the ecclesia. The ecclesia means those who are called out. So I'm called out from where I was. I'm called out with my relationship from God from where it was. I'm called out from my understanding of Jesus. I'm called out with my individuality and my connection, and I'm called out to come together with others. Because of my relationship with Jesus Christ, because of what he's done for me, I'm no longer mine. I now belong to him, and I'm called out. No longer an individual, but I'm part of now a collective. And so that's the reason that we say the church is not a building. The church is you. 
The church is us. Every one of us, we are the church. So now I want to cover three more misconceptions. Now, I got these. Just tell you where I got them. Give cred here from Kyle Eidemann. Did a great job of talking about these misconceptions. Let me just share them. Second is this. The church is not a country club. The church is not a country club. You know, churches have been accused of being country clubs for as long as I've been going to church. And so uh, just kind of assuming that. So here's the deal. Let's talk about country clubs. Country clubs are these places or these organizations where if you meet a certain level of qualification, meaning you've, ra- you've risen up in culture and you're more elite uh, and the way the standings might fall and you have the money to pay the dues, you can join a country club. And then when you join the country club, you're special because you belong there. And then other people, they don't get to go because they don't meet those same standards. And then when you go, you're served because you're important and they want to make sure that all your needs are met. And so it becomes a place then where you go and you sit back and you just consume goods and services. So that's the country club. Okay. Second is this. The church is not a warehouse. It's not a warehouse club. So if I looked in your wallet or purse today, I think that almost every one of us would have a card, and that card would have the words Costco on it, or Sam's. Okay, one of the two, Costco or Sam's, and uh, you find that you belong to one of those warehouse clubs. Why do you have those cards? Why do you pay for those cards? Something funny back there I missed, but that's okay. If you're going to yell, yell louder, okay? So why do you have that card? Because you have that card because that card gives you access to products you can't have access to unless you have the card. And so you bought it and you've purchased it and you want to be able to shop and you want to be able to get what you don't have. So the church, I'll say this, is not a place where you come and show your card and then you get to shop from the products and get to go away and take the services that are available there. If that's how you view church, you're actually missing out on true fellowship when you get there. And then lastly, church is not a fitness club. It's not a fitness club. So also, some of you, you would have in your wallet, you would have a card, and that card you would take to your fitness club, and you would swipe it when you go in, and it would show that you're a member when you actually go to the fitness club. But the deal is this, is that so many of us have those cards to a fitness club, but we rarely get the card out, right? We drive by the fitness club, the card's in our wallet or in our, pocket, in our purse, and we just drive on by and say, I belong to that club. I belong to that club. But we never go. <laughs> we never go. And that's what happens if we look at church as a fitness club where we purchase a card, and then, but we never access what's available with that card. So those three misconceptions as well as the church is not a building. With that kind of in mind, I want to talk for just a minute about what does God want the church to be? One thing I'll say, God does not want his church to be a dispenser of goods and services. And we can be so guilty of this. You can be guilty of wanting it. We can be guilty of giving it to you. Because when we give you goods and services, you like it. You love it. You want more. And then we're like, wow, they love it. They want more. This must be from God. We must do more of these. And we need to understand church is not a place to dispense goods and services. So God wants his place, his church, not to be seen as a dispenser of goods and services, but he wants his church to be seen as a place where I can come and I can grow in my intimacy with him. That's what he wants his church to be and be known for. So let me give you my definition of church. I worked up this week. Here we go. One blank. The church is a family. It's a family of followers of Jesus who are devoted to God and to each other for the glory of God and the flourishing of the world. So I worked this up. I got it from Acts chapter 2, 42 for 47. 
When it says, and they were devoted, and it talks about what they're devoted to, and they were devoted to uh, God praising him and worshiping him. That's the first thing it talks about. And then it says not only that, but they were devoted to growing and intimacy with him, and they were devoted to others coming to know Jesus and then the flourishing of their communities. So that's where I got all that definition. If you want to read Acts 42 to 47, you can find that as well. So the church is who we are and what we do when we gather. So for just a few minutes, I want to talk a little bit about what happens when we gather faithfully. What, the, what really happens here? What can happen here if you have the posture to receive? What can happen here as we gather? Three ideas. Hebrews 10, I'm going to begin, begin with verse 22. Up until now, the writer of Hebrews has talked about who Jesus is as our great high priest. And because he's our great high priest, that he's given the ultimate perfect sacrifice on the cross. And because of that, I have direct access to God. I have intimacy with him because of what Jesus Christ has done. And then it goes on and it talks about, and the writer of Hebrews is going to use several let us statements. Now, once again, if you were here on the week on worship, we talked about the word let us a lot because it's an invitation for all of us to come together. So we're going to look at three let us statements that he makes in the rest of these verses from Hebrews beginning in verse 22, but in the, under these ideas. The first is this. We experience, what do we do when we're here? We experience God fully. We experience God fully. And I know this is a radical statement. The word fully is pretty radical. Uh, and I'm just saying that as we look at this, we talk about this for just a minute. We can experience God anywhere, folks. I'm just saying that. Anywhere. You can experience God in nature. You can experience God in the fishing bank. You can finish you know, hiking. You can at an art show. Um, there's all kinds of ways that you can actually experience God because God is every, you know, everywhere. And when you have a relationship with him, you're eager to meet him everywhere. But I'm just saying that there's something that God has ordained in the way that he made life to work, that when we come and we gather here, there's something that happens in the supernatural realm. I cannot explain. I just know I've experienced it. That happens in the supernatural realm right here when we gather together, that we experience him in a fuller way than we experience him when we're by ourselves. In a fuller way. And this is what he says. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with all the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So when we gather together here, you know, people say that, uh, wherever two or three gather together, that that's, you know, Jesus, God said he'll be there. Well, the, that's meaning if they're gathered together for his purposes. It's not, it's not meaning, if, you know, two or three people gather together that Jesus isn't there because they're not looking for him. So when we come together, we come, that's why this is so supernaturally charged as we come here eager to receive and to be with him. So when we gather here, it's different than when we gather with people at a movie theater, for instance, for example. So I gather with people at a movie theater. We're there to have an experience. But I'm not there to meet with God, so I don't have a God experience. When I go to a concert, I have a concert experience. It's wonderful, or a play. And I have you know, an opportunity to be with others, but it's not the same as what happens here. If I go to a football game, once again, we have camaraderie because we're in the bleachers and the stands, but we don't meet with God in a deeper way because we're not there to meet with God. We're there to watch a football game. So you get the difference. We're here to meet with God. And when we come here, we can know him more fully. Because when we come in here, we come expecting to meet with him. 
And not only that, if we're followers of Jesus, we bring Jesus with us. And we come, and it's not like God just says, I'm only in this building. But we come, and because we anticipate meeting with him, he is a good God, and he's going to meet with us. He's going to be with us. And so what happens is we learn to be with him and to know him and experience him and develop an intimacy with him because we experience him more fully. Second is this. We gather together faithfully. We express our hope confidently. So we express our hope confidently. So we have a hope, and our hope is in God, and it's hope in Jesus. But when we come here and we engage like we just did in worship, we just sang, great is thy faithfulness, we were expressing, some of you were in tears, expressing your hope in God, that that was the God that you love, that he'll be with you, and you had a confidence about it that you may not have had 10 minutes ago before you got here. So you do it confidently when you express hope. This is what he says. Let us, again, talking about all of this, hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. That's the key word there. Profess. We talk about it. We express it. For he who promised is faithful. Great is thy faithfulness. So when we come into church, what we're here to do is we're not here to be silent. We're here to express our hope in God, express it with each other, express it so that we can be encouraged as we're here in this place. We have a hope, and it's a firm anchor that can hold us in any storm. We can trust God and trust Jesus. So when we come here, we come just even by coming in the doors, let alone if we sing or pray or talk or respond or greet or give, just by coming in the doors, I'm expressing my hope in God. I'm saying, I hope in God. That's why I'm here today. I desperately need him. Jesus is I all and all, and I trust him with everything. And when I come together and I get to now sing and I get to pray and I get to give, I get to serve, I get to talk to others, I get to grieve, and I get to do the dreaded handshakes, then I do those things, then I'm expressing my hope in him. I believe in him, and I'm going to trust him with everything. And then number three, when we gather together faithfully as his family, we encourage each other thoughtfully. We encourage each other thoughtfully. When we gather faithfully, we receive the encouragement that happens. Okay, you've got people who are coming and experiencing God more fully. You've got people who are professing their hope in Jesus Christ and in God. Well, that's going to encourage me where I'm at, especially if I'm struggling. You know, when we were singing today, this, when the week we talked about worship, I talked about this, about the fact that uh, when we come and we sing with each other, that as we're singing, that there are people who cannot sing. Now, I'm not saying cannot sing like me, which I can't carry a tune. I'm not saying that cannot sing. I'm talking about they can't sing because they have so much pain and because life is so difficult and life is so hard. And what I talked about that day is that of those of us who have the ability to sing, even if it, is, it takes a lot of willpower, even because our lives are not perfect, but we are singing about the hope we have that what we're doing is we're covering our brothers and sisters in this room who only they can do is cry. And I had some people write me notes that week and tell me that's all that they can do right now. If they come and they stand and they cry. And I've been there. I understand that. And so when we come and we gather, we are encouraging our brothers and sisters. You see why it's important that we're here? Why it's important for you to be in church? Because if you're not here, a brick is missing. 
And that brick may be just the brick that is needed for that neighbor that day. And so he wants us to be here and be together. Okay, now let's go to the verses, 24 and 25. Let us consider, so that's the key word there, consider. That's the major verb there. So that's why I said thoughtfully, because we're considering how we may spur one another on toward love. So that means we have to think about it. We have to really be cognizant of what's happening, how we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, there it is, encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So that word consider, that's our call to action. Call to action here. We are to think about it. We are to ponder it. We are to consider others and how valuable our presence is to them. Our presence is to them and how we encourage others simply by being here. It may even be someone you don't even know. They're, you're here. They see you sing. They see you engage. And they're so needing to be met by God at that moment that as they watch you, they are encouraged and they have hope in their life and where it is. So there's a strong exhortation here, too, that says that we should not give up the meeting of others with others. I don't think the Bible minces words, folks. It's saying that we will want, because of the love we have for God, because of the hope we have in Christ, and because of the love we have for our brothers and sisters, we will want to be in his house with his people because our presence will encourage them and allow them to face their difficulties with a stronger sense of confidence in him. See, the reality is you and I need each other. I need you. You need me. We need each other. We can't do this alone. And God designed it to be that way, and he provided the perfect tool even though we're imperfect, and that's the church. And when we choose to forsake the gathering, we're hindering the health of the church. When we choose to forsake the gathering, we're hindering the nourishment of the church. Our church needs us to engage fully. Now, there's going to be times, there's people watching me online right now, there are going to be times when that's going to be the thing that you need to do that day. There's things happening. There's going to be times when you can't even go to church in a day. That's actually going to happen. But what we say in this message is this, I'm going to go, I'm going to gather, what's the word at the end? What's the adverb? Faithfully. Regularly. So you can count on me. You can count on me being there. So the writer of Hebrews is calling out those who would say, you know what, I don't need the church to have a relationship with God. And honestly, you don't. But he's calling out those who say, I don't need a church in order to pray. And honestly, you don't. He's calling out those who say, I don't need church in order to feel that God's on my side. I just don't need church. And you know what, folks? That last part is the part that's not true. You can have a relationship with God and not be here. But I'll say this, it will be limited you can have hope in God and not be here, but I'll say it will be limited. And you can be encouraged and encourage others, but it's going to be limited. He designed this for all of that to happen and for it to happen together. He's saying, don't view my church as a place you go to get and consume. View my church as a place you go to receive from me and then give to me and to others. We need each other. And when you're not here, folks, something's missing. So we come and we build each other up. So I was, um, I'm going to show you our program cover. So when we look at our program cover, we've used this theme now uh, for, I think, all of this year and part of last year. And we'll use it all this year. 
And so it, it, this is an invitation to say when people walk in the door and they get this, that it's saying, welcome home. And the, the picture here is a picture of warmth. It's a picture of acceptance. It's uh, of saying there's a place for you. There's a place for you to belong. And that uh, this is home for those who are part, and it's a potential home for those who are coming that this could be a home for you. And so what it's saying is, is you, are, you are invited to be part of this family. So what I want to do is I'm going to talk a little bit about those of you. We've had a lot of people start coming since January, and there's something happening in the tea or the water here. But a lot of people are coming, and they're wanting to know, especially young 20s and 30s are coming and wanting to know, what is God doing here? Is God real? Is God available for me? Is God real? Will I be accepted? Because you know what? Really, most of us, if we don't, aren't, if we don't come here on a regular basis, we drive by, and we see this church here. We see this building here. We drive by, and we know our lives. We know our hearts. We know our failings. We know what's going on. We have, I wouldn't fit there. We know ourselves. So I'm not perfect. Why would they ever accept me? And so I just want you to listen to me for just a minute. Some of you are thinking, Ron, you have no idea who you're inviting to be part of this family. If you saw my life, if you saw my resume, you would think that person is too dysfunctional to fit in here. If you really knew me, Ron, that's exactly what you would think if you knew my life. Well, I just want to blow that myth out of the water, okay? Let's just blow it out right now. Let's blow it out. I want you right now, I want you to look around you, okay? Just take a minute. Just look around. Look around. No staring. Just look around, okay? <laughs> just look around just for a minute. And I just want to say this. This is a big dysfunctional family, okay? That's who we are. It's a big dysfunctional family. Woo! So if you're dysfunctional, come on, you're going to fit in with the rest of us. Oh my goodness gracious. It's the way it is. And I just want to encourage you that, you know what, is the church so many, so many times has said, you have to be perfect to come, and I'm so sorry for that. But you have to be imperfect to come, because you have to be willing to admit you need help to be able to come. I want to read this quote from Timothy Keller. Uh, it's a beautiful quote. It's about marriage, actually. It's from his book, The Meaning of Marriage, but it fits so well right here with what we're talking about right now. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. This is one of the dangers, folks, of social media because on social media, we portray the person we want others to think we are. And so they know us as that, but we know we're not that. And we know, therefore, that we can't be loved for who we are. And we're afraid for others to see that. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. To find a place where I can be truly known, fully known and truly loved. He said, that is like being loved by God. So when we love others and we accept them and we know them and we embrace them, it's as if God himself is loving them. Isn't that just great? We think about that, what God wants to do. It is what we need more than anything. We need that. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Isn't that what encouragement is about? and what he wants to do in and through us. 
So in the early church, the early church had a lot of pressure. Uh, they had pressure from government. They had pressure from religious powers of authority. Uh, they had pressure because many of them were um, lower class, so they had economic pressure. Uh, they had pressure because they were now followers of this movement called the Way, and so there was all this pressure against the early church, and because they had so much pressure, they knew they needed each other. That's why in Acts it says they didn't gather just once a week. They gathered daily. They knew they needed the encouragement that come from being together daily. And folks, you need to hear this. Isolation and following Jesus are just not compatible. And they're not healthy for you. We have to do this together. So what we have to do is we have to be told... See, in our culture right now, our society right now, we're told to back down and be politically correct. We're dismissed as irrelevant and out of touch. We're pressured to conform to a way of living that contradicts how God said we are to live. And so I hope you see how much we need each other. We need each other. And that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes is talking about. Ecclesiastes 4, he says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. There is strength in numbers, strength in being together as we're encouraged. So I'm going to wrap this whole thing up with two thoughts. Just two thoughts. I had to skip some stuff that I wanted to talk about. We have Hebrews 3 there. We're not going to be able to cover that today. I'm going to wrap up with two thoughts. And first is this. As we gather together, our gathering together is the number one witness to the world of God's love. As we gather together. Look at John chapter 13. Jesus says this. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone, did that leave anyone out? Everyone will know that you are my disciples, meaning everyone will know that you love me. Everyone will know the love I have for them by the way you love one another. That's just so important, folks, that right after Easter, we're going to start a series and we're going to talk to our church. We're going to talk to our family. We're going to talk about how we can be better at loving each other, not so that we can be some holy huddle but so that we can be God's witness to the world, that if we can love others, then God is real, as we love each other. So what we're going to do, second thing is this, I'll end with this. The author of Hebrews ends in verse 25, so Jess, if you'll put that back up again, there we go, verse 25. He ends with this phrase, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So day is capitalized. Day is capitalized because it has special meaning. And the special meaning is that there's a day that Jesus has promised that he will come again. And so that day is approaching. As you see the day approaching, there's some that thinks it's approaching faster than ever, that we're in this just uh, compressed time before Jesus ever comes again. But we are to do all these things. We're to do this all the more, it says, all the more, not just less and less. And we're going to need it more and more because the Bible says as we get closer to the end, it's going to get harder than ever. And that as we get closer, we're doing more and more as we see the day approaching. And what is that day? It's the day that Jesus comes again and he says, I'm going to take my church. He's not going to take this building. He's going to take his people. 
and his people will be in heaven with him. And that's the promise we have of the hope in heaven. And then there's going to be a moment in heaven when we're all together in Revelation chapter 7. Let me read this to you. This is what's going to happen in heaven as he takes all his church there. John is writing and says, after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the lamb. They were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Folks, that day is coming, and my encouragement is that we would not give up the habit of meeting together. Because when we come together, we experience God more fully, We express our hope confidently. We can have confidence. We can stand firm. And we encourage each other. And we encourage, I believe, people who are looking for a place to find hope and love. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Father, I just thank you for your word and how powerful it is. I thank you for your love and how wonderful it is. I thank you for your people, and just, I just want to begin by praying for all those who are watching online right now, and, and they're, um, I just want you to know this, this is not a, a message about guilt or shame, it's a message about hope, and so I just pray for everyone online that has the capacity that they would say that next week they're going to a church, this church or some church, they're going, they're going to be physically present, they're no longer going to rely on virtual reality, and they'll be there and to be with your people. And God, I pray for those in the room who, this is the first time they've been in a long time, and they're thinking, I'm just talking right at them. I'm not. And it's once again, it's not about shame. It's not about guilt. It's about hope, what God wants to do in us. And God, I just want to also pray for those of us who are coming on a regular basis, that we would be inspired today, that we would know that our coming is not in vain, and that we would know that even though there are times that we leave here and we say that, oh, I didn't really, didn't really hear from God today, and I really didn't sense that Ron was on today, and the music seemed a little off, and that we would realize that at that moment, that someone else was receiving today. And by our presence here, we were encouraging them. You encourage us to diligence, God, when it comes to being with your people. And Lord, last, I want to pray, Jesus, for all those who have never said yes to you. You are a perfect sacrifice. We had sin that was beyond our ability to work our way out of. And we want to confess that sin to you right now. Impossible for us to do anything about it. And now we want to ask you, we want to access your love, your sacrifice on the cross for us, and we want to receive now your gift of forgiveness, cleansing, healing, transformation, regeneration. That we would receive that, what you want to give us, Jesus. And we want to live the rest of our days for you like these people who were baptized today said they were going to do. Wow. I just thank you so much. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.